Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education, where we dive deep into the world of virtual reality for teaching and learning. Today, we have a special guest with us. Joining us is Misty Wilson. She is the head of education and customer support at Immerse. Immerse is a groundbreaking company that offers, of course, immersive language learning experiences inside virtual reality. Welcome to the show, Misty. Thanks, Craig. Thanks for having me. I always am curious about origin stories. And so I always open up this show just asking uh, attendants or asking guests what got them interested in VR in the first place. Yeah, well, my, my background is in education. So I was in higher ed for about 15 years, teaching English and then directing an ESL program. And I first got interested in virtual reality, actually, when I learned about Immerse. I was at an English USA conference, and um, I heard Quinn, the CEO of Immerse, talk about the platform, and I saw a little demo of a class, and um, you know, I just got so excited about the potential of VR and language learning. So I went out and bought my first headset because of, of seeing uh, the Immerse platform and then wanted to see what else was available um, you know, in terms of apps. And so, yeah, it uh, prompted me to buy a headset. And uh, now that's, you know, makes up my entire, my entire life now, I feel. So it's been a, it's been a, a quick four-year journey into virtual reality. Amazing. The, the business model of Immerse is slightly different. And so I want to touch on that and talk about the uniqueness of your guys' approach. So just for listeners, Immerse focuses more on synchronous experiences, whereas the other competitors out there, the other language learning companies like Mondly, you know, I've tried Nowntown, for example, they're more heaven, heaven, uh, swayed more heavily on asynchronous experiences. So I'm curious what made you guys at Immerse focus more on the synchronous approach? Yeah, there's a number of apps that are moving away from human teachers and, and not just apps like the ones that you mentioned, but we even have uh, West Virginia University deciding to get rid of its world language programs and replace it with apps. Um, so, yeah, I think when we look at all of these decisions, really the root is usually efficiency. Um, you know, it's it's you can make more profits to not have live human teachers. So um, when we started with Immerse, you know, we were really focused on what, what's the best experience we could have in virtual reality with language learning. And that's really where we started from. Um, so our current platform offers four different feature sets. So we have our live classes that are 35 minutes long that are led by instructors. Then we have conversation groups um, that learners can just jump in and out of that are led by instructors as well. But with our newest app update a couple of weeks ago, uh, we added in practice scenes. So we do have some asynchronous practice scenes with um, AI-powered avatars where our members can go in and practice 24-7 as much as they'd like with uh, conversations. And then we also have another scene that's just a play scene where there's learning games where members can connect with each other. So it's kind of like a public forum. Um, 
But, you know, what, what, and while the, the chat GPT practice scenes are really great to reinforce what they're learning in class, kind of for a self-assessment, you miss that human interaction that you get when you have an instructor present, right? The instructor has that unique ability to give feedback on the spot to learners in a way that chat GPT is not ready to do. Um, not just on giving feedback, but knowing when to give feedback and when not to, right? Because as teachers, we know we don't correct every mistake our learners make. That would be so demotivating. Uh, so we we have to quickly on the spot make a decision. Okay, what am I gonna what am I gonna correct? Do I rephrase it? Do I call them out and actually specifically say that that was wrong? So there's all these judgments that we make as teachers, but we have to read our students first, right? So there's a lot of understanding where our learners are coming from. What are their goals and motivations? How serious are they about learning a language? How nervous are they right now? So there's all these things that go through um, teachers' minds. And so a lot of what we do even with our teacher training is it's all about our strategies, right? Making sure we have that toolbox of strategies that we can call on and ChatGPT just isn't there yet to be able to add that kind of value that we believe our human teachers can add. Yeah, the other, the other thing that uh, struck me when you talked about that model is, you know, if you, if you think of a formal school setting where I might go to higher ed or K to 12 and take a course where I get a mark, you know, I get a live teacher or I get a real teacher who will spend a lot of time in the classroom working with me and giving me formative feedback before I write a test or have some sort of verbal uh, performance. But one of the issues with that model is we often hear from students that, you know, the formative assessment in that model where you're going to eventually get a mark isn't really formative assessment. Because if, you, if you're my teacher and I'm trying to talk to you in a, in a new language, you know, we, you might tell me that this conversation that we're practicing with each other doesn't count. It's just formative and you can give me just in time feedback. But we all know there's built in bias. Like you might go to give me a test and you've already sort of made a judgment because I worked with you. Whereas in your model, you know, A, there's, you know, there's less pressure because I assume there's no mark or test. And B, these aren't like the teachers that you would have in the physical school. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, our, our learners are, are very self-motivated. The, the reasons for study um, tend to be more of like wanting to, com to connect with family members, people in their community, uh, people at work. And so I think that, that that different motivation also has a little bit less stress of like, I have to study for a test, right? And I, and I just need to, to earn 100 on this test. They really want to learn how to communicate with people, to have real conversations. Um, so that changes it a little bit as well. One of the superpowers of using virtual worlds and virtual reality is, of course, we know from learning science that context makes the learning stickier. And in the case of virtual reality, you know, that context where you can put the learner in an environment that is contextually relevant to what they're trying to say or study is so powerful. So what kinds of learning environments or contextual environments do you guys provide and how did you decide on these? Yeah, I mean, this was one of the things that caught my eye when I first heard about Immerse. I mean, in my own classes, like most teachers, I'd spend hours, you know, uh, printing out different materials to help us facilitate some kind of role play. So like menus from a restaurant, plane tickets or train tickets so we could pretend that we're role playing, right? 
Um, but with Immerse, all of these learning opportunities are set in these, these locations where that language would normally happen. So instead of having to pretend that we're at a restaurant and have this kind of awkward, you know, either where I'm on Zoom and I'm pretending to be a waiter or I have like, you know, a student that stands up next to me and I'm at my desk, um, we have the restaurant where there are tables and chairs and there's food that they can pull from. Um, and so, so we have 35, over 35 immersive scenes and, you know, we, we started with just like, where does language happen? And surprisingly, shockingly, right. It happens everywhere. So really any, you, anything that you could imagine, we could have a scene on, but, um, we have a home scene, doctor's office, kitchen, a gym, hotel, meeting room, a central park. Um, an emergency scene where you can see different emergencies going on at the same time and be able to talk about them and, and ask for help. Um, and we have some fun ones like a wizard classroom and a deserted island. And the deserted deserted island is great for talking about what you know what should we do or you know how did this happen. Um, so so yeah, when when you're able to use language in these real places where you normally would, first of all, we get rid of that awkwardness. But also all of this language starts just flowing and you're able to get into the state of flow where you actually feel like you're actually trying to accomplish a task um, and go through security at the airport. Um, so, yeah, so this contextualized learning is, is so valuable on our platform. I know language learning is heavily relevant on communication, whereas, you know, science learning, yes, communication is fairly important, but the use of you know, 3D models like beakers and test tubes probably plays a bigger role in science. So for you guys in your environments, again, most of my listeners know a bit about VR and virtual reality. And the other thing that they kind of know is that there's the ability to put 3D assets and 3D models into the environment and the learner can manipulate them in the form of a more active learning experience. But in the case of language learning, how important is that? How important it is it to have these three D models? Yeah, object interaction is is um, you know one of the main benefits of learning in, in virtual reality, and there there's been a, a number of studies that have looked at object interaction and vocabulary. One in particular that I always think of um, had participants uh, try to learn ninety Mandarin Chinese uh, words. And they had um, one group that was learning it through a computer program where they would just show the image, a static image, 2D image, and they would say the word. And then the other study group was exploring environments on a desktop computer, but in a VR environment. So they were able to like move around a zoo, a supermarket, and a kitchen and hear the words as they saw the objects. So the first group um, needed to encounter the words twice as, as, off, as many times as the, the desktop group that was in VR. Um, and the VR group also retained their vocabulary knowledge longer. Now, what I love about this is that one of the, the group that was actually in the environments in the kitchen and the zoo and the supermarket through VR, um, only one of those environments had objects where they could like grab them and interact with them. And that was in the kitchen. And what they found was that the learners who were remembered more of the kitchen vocabulary because they were actually able to hold and interact with the ob objects. So that's one of the benefits that we know from language learning is just that holding the object, interacting with the object as you learn the vocabulary will help you retain it longer. But then there's also these um, impromptu moments that happen, which, which is my favorite part when I'm observing a class. You know, when I'm in my, my classroom and I have a role play, um, you know, at, let's say I'm at the coffee shop and I'm ordering coffee, it's kind of scripted, right? There's like, I know I'm going to say this. I know they're going to say this. And we go on. 
But when we're doing a lesson like that in our coffee shop in Immerse, um, what happens inevitably is someone will drop coffee. So either the customer or the barista will drop it. And then all of a sudden there's this opportunity for new language that wasn't planned, wasn't prepared. And there's usually this moment, but then all of a sudden someone's like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry that I spilled it. And, and everyone plays along with this like moment of reality of like, I just spilled coffee. And then you see the barista saying, no, no, no worry. I'll clean it up for you. And so those opportunities, you, you just don't get when you have this scripted kind of uh, four-walled classroom environment where you're trying to practice language. Oh, I love that story. It kind of leads us into another question I had, you know, about learning in general, but more important, learning in VR, where you have a little bit more control and settings. You know, learning in general, we know if it's too easy, people kind of get bored quickly. Yet, you know, if we make it too challenging or too hard with, you know, higher end vocabulary that they're maybe not ready for, then of course they also tune out. How do you gauge that in Immerse as you design these learning experiences for students that maybe you don't know for as long a period of time as you would if you had them in the physical classroom? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. So our, our program is unique in that our lessons are not sequential. They can be taken in any order by our learners. Uh, it, our lessons are aligned with the CFR and actual frameworks. Um, and so what will happen is that a student could have a lesson today that's a little bit more challenging, like let's say on the A2 scale for CFER. And then tomorrow it'll be less challenging. So there are going to be moments where they're in classes that, that skill-wise might be a little bit more challenging. So what we do, we ensure that our, our lesson plans are scripted in a way the language that we're using is at that, that appropriate level for the learner, um, while the skill might be a little bit more challenging, right? Um, but also having live teachers, we're able to adapt to the learner's needs in those moments, and we're able to either make it more challenging or make it a little bit easier if learners um, find themselves in a class that's too challenging. And because, you know, and we're dealing with adult learners, our platform right now is for adults only. And so we know that with adult learning theory that self their adults are self-directed and uh, we try to give a lot of autonomy. And so they're able to choose their own level as well. We do have a little placement, um, you know, test that kind of has some can-do statements for them to self-assess, but they're really able to place themselves in whatever level they feel comfortable with. Um, so again, the, having the teachers that are able to adapt and facilitate to the learner's needs is, um, you know, is a huge benefit, of course. I've been doing a lot of research on how we learn best. And of course, having done my master's in instructional design, one thing that a lot of teachers maybe either have forgotten about or missed is the, the notion of spaced out practice over time, as well as varying how they practice, whether that's language or basketball or whatever. And I've did my homework on you guys, and I know you guys align to those two principles. A, it's highly effective when you're trying to remember something like a language for a long period of time or commit it to your memory that you need to space out your practice. And then B, when you're learning something, if you just go to the same modality, like a worksheet after a worksheet, that is less effective. So talk to the audience about those two principles and how you use them in your VR programs. Yeah, our, our lessons, um, I mentioned they were 35 minutes, which is goes by really quickly. And they're, they're focused on very small communicative tasks. 
Um, so by the end of that lesson for the, for the learner to achieve that small communicative task. Um, but one thing that we do, and, and I'll say Christina Cabbage is our curriculum and assessment manager. So she's, she's really a wizard when it comes to curriculum design, um, but she's very careful in, um, in making sure that we mix scenarios and context for language practice. And so that type of interleaving, interleaving is like code switching. And so we may practice requests in the hotel scene, but then we're also going to practice making requests in our backyard scene. And so that mirrors the way that we use language in real life. We don't just make requests when we're at the coffee shop, right? I would like this. Uh, we make them in the meeting room as well. Um, and, and so we, we use those different skills in the different environments. Um, but we also have, we have those lessons where we're learning, uh, you know, a, a very, um, small communicative task, but then we have our conversation groups and the conversation groups are where we're able to bring over and connect what we're learning in the class with a new environment and with new topics, right? So we're able to really connect, bring in that skill that we've learned in the lessons and now add in different topics, different contexts where I could use those same skills. Um, and I think from that, you know, conversation groups, we have those a lot in, in all of our language programs because they're so important for learners to have that opportunity for more impromptu speaking time um, and to interact with, you know, other learners as well. So, yeah, I think that that's, you know, especially with the uh, the ability to move between our different scenes for the different lessons, it, it's just perfect for that kind of learning. Yeah, and then just add to that, again, ha having looked a bit into your product you know you could pop someone in a game as well and that's another varied learning experience that you know if we think of learning learning's a journey and you start out as a novice just trying to make sense of everything but giving them a variety of different activities like you guys do helps weave them towards becoming a conceptual expert at something so i, I really that really struck with me and resonated with me when i looked at how your product works um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the onboarding process. So I'm a bit shy and introverted. Uh, go figure. I have a podcast, but I am. And uh, when I when I went to the website, the, the they said free class, and I thought, oh, great, it's free. Educators love free stuff, and so I clicked on it. And the free class invited me to meet someone synchronously online for that free session. And me being an introvert. I never did commit to it. So my question is, you know, how, how do you convince people like me to uh, dive into the world of language learning uh, when maybe you're a bit shy or introverted? Yeah, I, foreign language um, anxiety is something that, that is written about in, in a lot of journals, but something that we talk about a lot because we realize that that is you know, a big barrier for a lot of people is is getting to that point where you're comfortable and talking with another person, right? Um, and communicating with a stranger that you've never met before. Um, so that's something that we have, we've thought of as we have created like our tutorials where we're trying to help people become much more familiar with the app before they get into like a live session. But that was also a big motivating factor for our practice scenes is that we wanted a space for learners to be able to just practice speaking with someone in a very, very low stress kind of environment. And so the so my suggestion for anyone who's hesitant is to start with the practice scenes where you can talk to an avatar and you know there's not going to be anyone else there. 
Our practice scenes, you can go by yourself or you can also go with other learners. So on our Discord channel, we have a lot of members who share codes with each other and they say like, hey, I've got time to practice if anyone wants to join me. Um, so that might be like a second step that someone might take where they join one of those sessions. Um, or uh, and then once you're in the class, you know, our, our one of the things that we hear in our feedback constantly is how kind our instructors are, which I found really interesting because I have, you know, I had directed ESL programs for a lot of times and I did get, you know, on occasion students would be like, oh, she's so kind. But that's like in almost all of our reviews. And I was wondering, like, what, what was this a previous experience that people had with teachers? And there's maybe like this negative thought <laughs> that like, oh, they're going to be like criticizing what I'm going to say. Um, so that's something that, you know, our, our, we know how important it is to make those learners feel really comfortable because it is a scary process learning a new language and trying out, you know, it's a, it's a very brave, brave act to speak with someone in a, in a language that's not your first language. Um, so we try to make them feel very comfortable. We also offer now um, some take a tour options where during your free week trial, uh, we'll send an email where you can sign up just to jump on the platform with one of our staff members to ask a question. If you've got questions before you go into a lesson, if you're not ready to do that yet. Um, but mainly, yeah, our practice scenes and those placings really help our learners to, to overcome that. In addition, I'll say the avatars are a huge, uh, you know, there's been a lot of, when, in, in terms of uh, virtual reality research, avatars are talked about a lot. And there's a lot of studies that have shown um, that there's decrease in anxiety when learners are using uh, in studying through an avatar, because you kind of forget that you're talking with other people. Um, you kind of forget that you're talking as yourself because you're, you know, you're able to customize your own avatar as well. So I think that the use of avatars, um, once you actually get into the app, you realize very quickly how, how less stressful it is than it might be if you were just in front of another person. Yeah. And your guys' avatars, you know, you talk about kindness or the, the notion of friendliness. Your avatars are relatively cartoon-like, but, you know, not on the end of the spectrum that it, it, it it's like ridiculous cartoon. Like, you know, it's obviously has a, a professional air to it. Was that by design that you picked that particular kind of avatar? Yeah. I mean, you look at kind of, there's this two, there, you either have hyper-realistic environments, right? Where there, you just have these 3D images or you kind of have this more cartoony, right? Um, kind of like, I think that that cartoony design allows us to have a lot more variety on our platform. And it does help with that 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 notion of, of anxiety as well, because you are looking at a very friendly looking avatar um, that doesn't look like another, you know, it looks like a human, but it doesn't look exactly like a human, right? Because it's that has that kind of cartoony layer on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, I, I just re remembered uh, Tricia Thrasher, who's one of our research managers, her, her dissertation was actually done um, on how VR benefits learners' um, physiological anxiety. So she actually like measured the saliva, the cortisol rates in the saliva and heart rate to look at that. And so that was the actual first study with empirical evidence versus just self-reported evidence that um, avatars actually reduce stress in learners. Mm. And is there a limit to the kind of avatar that participants can have, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of there's a, a great clip, it was about four years ago, where Jaron Lanier, one of the sort of original godfathers of VR and virtual world and avatars showed up to an interview in it might have been even inside Second Life, I can't remember. And he showed up as an octopus, whereas the other two avatars were obviously embodying kind of human like figures. And, you know, he, he did it as shock value, but 
I guess my point here is, you know, can participants show up in non-human-like figures or do they have to stick to a human-like figure? Yeah, so we have a few um, avatars that we offer that are all human, you know, human looking like, although we do have some playful ones, a hot dog costume that um, <laughs> sometimes we'll change into in like the fast food scene or something. Um, but in terms of like our, our members avatars, they can either use those or if they have um, a meta account, then they can create their own meta avatar and customize it to look like themselves or to look like however they want them to look. So whatever those limitations for the meta avatars would be the limitations on our platform. So we have we had thought about, um, you know, using more creative av avatars, but it, it can be a little bit disruptive, like if you're trying to take a lesson with a hot dog. So so I think that we'll probably stick with more human looking avatars. Yeah, I'm I'm of the same mindset when it comes to that. There's sort of a limit as a teacher myself who does a bit of teaching in VR. There's a sort of a limit where it can, in, in my humble opinion, this is just my opinion, but it can sort of destroy the ethos or the mood and the intent of what you're trying to deliver for language learning. So um, I think so. Mindful... It's like in a classroom where you have someone with, with you know, their, their bunny slippers and a blanket and they're like, look like they, they're still sleeping. I mean, it's kind of the same thing, right? You're there to learn. You're kind of like, it's game time. You yeah. want to look like you're ready to learn. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I mean, the, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we, we think of, you know, conservative private schools where everyone looks exactly the same and whether, you know, that helps or hinders the teaching and learning, I, I'm not sure, but, you know, there, there, there are some platforms where the, the limitations on your choices of what you're allowed to look like within the VR platform are so narrow that, you know, some participants say, I just didn't feel like I had enough choice to represent the identity I wanted to be inside the virtual world. And, you know, they would, they would voice that. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And the good thing about the meta avatars is there's a lot of customization that you can do with those. So you can really make it look as much like yourself as you want. What's next for Immerse? So you guys have been at it for about three years, I think you said. And so what are some long or short-term goals? Also, I'm mindful of, you know, you don't want to sort of let the cat out of the bag if it's like a hidden secret that isn't ready to reveal, but. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, uh, Merce has been around for five years um, in, in our first uh, B2B um, platform, we were helping programs use their own content known teachers. And so just a year ago, we moved to D2C. So now we're offering our own curriculum and teachers for classes, but yeah, I mean, what's next on, on our horizon? We, uh, are going to be adding a lot more practicing. So we currently have four, but we'll be adding um, more practicings with more avatars and also improving um, the own prompt engineering that we're doing with avatars to make sure that we're, you know, using um, guidelines on them to make really authentic conversations. So it's been a lot of fun to actually like play around with some of that to see how, how di different tweaks and changes can get different outputs. Um, we're wanting to add some feedback options through the AI practice avatars as well, where they can provide some feedback or guidance to the learner after the conversation. Um, and in gamification is a, is a next big um, feature that we'll be pushing where you'll be able to collect points and really see and visualize your learning journey and understand how everything is organized together. So that'll be uh, coming out in our next app update in October. After that, um, I don't know, probably shouldn't say anything, but we've been just talking about a mobile app version. So we just had started some initial discussions to wonder, you know, to see like, what would that be like? What could we offer? 
on a mobile device. Um, but we haven't made any decisions on that yet. But that's something that we're definitely thinking about. Can users have a choice between going inside Immerse in a VR headset or on a 2D com computer, or are they uh, relegated towards the complete focus inside a headset? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so users can either access the app on a VR headset, the Quest 2 um, or Quest Pro, or they can also access it on Google Chrome through a desktop computer. So we launched that a couple of months ago and you can you don't have to choose one, so you can do both. So if you have a VR headset and you sometimes want to learn on a desktop, you can sometimes do that as well. So um, yeah, it's definitely opened up accessibility. And as you know, we hear and we see companies talking about the metaverse, we realize the metaverse isn't just inside of the little headset. The metaverse is larger than that. So and it's exciting to see more people have access to our app through desktop. And currently, what kinds of languages do you offer? So we're offering uh, French, Spanish, and English. And our schedule for um, goes throughout the day um, for Spanish and French, kind of, you know, in Eastern time, we're offering classes from 9 a.m. to 11 p.m. And um, the same with English, but we also have a location in Japan. So we offer some classes that are convenient for the Asian market time zone as well. I'm uh, mindful of time. Is there anything else maybe that we didn't talk about that you thought maybe the listeners might want to hear about or learn about as it pertains to your company or even VR in general? Yeah, I think um, the, the last thing maybe just that as a, as a startup, we um, have raised exclusively from impact investors. So uh, we're, we're committed to, you know, social good. And one of the reasons that we have, have, um, priced our app um, so low is because we want to make language learning accessible to as many people. So even though we have live instructors and it's not the most efficient, right, uh, to have human instructors as we were talking about at the beginning, um, our, our heart is really in making sure that we have the best product that's available for language learning um, that's, you know, for virtual reality. So yeah, it's, ex it's an exciting time to be a part of Immerse. Yeah, amazing. Well, thank you so much, Misty, for coming on the show and sharing your story. And uh, if people want to get a hold of you or learn more about Immerse, what's the best way? Yeah, they can check us out at Immerse.com. Um, and our handle is Immerse underscore VR on Instagram. So. Amazing. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Craig. It's been great.